welcome to the Barrel Room Chronicles. I'm Carrie Moynihan, a certified bourbon steward, former bartender, and all-around whiskey aficionado. I travel the world to explore whiskey from every avenue. For the last 20 years, I've been helping others tell their stories through television, film, and other media. But now, I'm taking my love for whiskey and my experience in the entertainment industry to uncover the fascinating stories of the water of life. So kick off your shoes, pour yourself a dram, and join me for this episode of Barrel Room Chronicles. Fine wine has long been a cornerstone of wealth generation and preservation. The problem? Historically, it's been reserved for the ultra-wealthy. VinoVest is changing that. Wine has one-third the volatility of the stock market and has outperformed the global equities market over the past 30 years with 10.6% annualized returns, proving that the returns can be just as robust as your favorite red. It is so easy to get started in diversifying your investment portfolio. VinoVest makes it easy to acquire new investments. Equipped with a team of world-class sommeliers who evaluate wine and determine which ones will gain value over time. You own the wines in your portfolio outright. You can buy, sell, and even drink them whenever you want. Go to httpzen.ai slash barrelroomchronicles to receive two months of fee-free investing. Be sure to mention that Barrel Room Chronicles is helping you save on two months of management fees. It's time to start investing with VinoVest today. It is five o'clock somewhere and you've tuned in to episode 13 of BRC. For those of you who'd like to watch this episode, it's available on our website, YouTube and Spotify. Today in Tales from the Still, I speak with Jonathan Egan about his family's Irish whiskey legacy. Then in World of Wheezy, we learn about plums. Then later in the show, I'll speak with returning guest, director-producer Greg Schwartz about the latest news on his whiskey documentary, The Water of Life, in today's Whiskey Whereabouts. Hello and welcome to this edition of Barrel Room Chronicles. Today on the show, we have Jonathan Egan from Egan's Whiskey in Ireland. He is actually currently in Chicago, and I am currently in Los Angeles. But we have here today Jonathan Egan to tell us about this beautiful, beautiful dram called Egan's Irish Whiskey. This one I have is Egan's Single Malt Irish Whiskey, and it's the heart of Ireland. So, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Kerry. I might have said it's a fine Irish name you have, Kerry Monaghan. I, I am 30%, 30% according to Ancestry. I thought I was uh, almost 30%, and then I found out I'm actually 30%, so that makes me very happy. Oh, brilliant. Yes. That's brilliant. Um, my, um, my Ancestry goes back to a little bit northwest of County Mayo. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. And two fine counties they are in, in Ireland, County Kerry and County Monaghan, right? Yes, yes. Um, no. I actually am named after the Ring of Kerry, um, and my twin oh. sister got Kelly because they wanted us to matchy, matchy, matchy. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So there we go. Wonderful. So speaking of Ireland, I hear yes. a little tone in your voice that maybe sounds like you grew up in Ireland. So yes. I'd love to hear about your, uh, your, your, your lineage, how you grew up, where you grew up, um, and how does that affect what you're doing today? And then I want to discuss this beautiful whiskey. But let's start with, with Jonathan. Jonathan was born in? Yes, I, I was born in Dublin. Most, a lot of uh, our young Irish kids are, are born in the capital city in the big smoke, as we call it. And, uh, but I spent my, you know, my formative years uh, just outside the pale in uh, County Kildare, 
my mother is from Kildare. My dad is from uh, Tullamore County, Offaly. And that's where the link with uh, Egan's comes in through my father. You know, to tell you a little bit about me, I, I grew up uh, in, in Ireland, obviously, and uh, went to, to Trinity in, Dub- in Dublin, did Red Economics for four years. And then once that was done, I actually headed off to Asia, to Taiwan and China. So I actually, at this point now, I've spent almost as many years outside of Ireland as I did within Ireland, actually. Wow. <laughs> um, this is almost my 20th year outside of Ireland. Pretty much left Ireland just after I turned uh, 22. So <laughs> I've kind of been running around since then. And so, I, 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 yeah, so I, I spent um, over a third of my life in, uh, in Shanghai, China. And it was when I was in Shanghai living with my roommate and, and best friend, uh, best male friend, my wife was my best friend, uh, that we decided to resurrect the family um, whiskey company, which, uh, which is called P&H Egan Tullamore Limited, which is basically a resurrection of uh, an old firm that was set up five generations ago and by my great-great-grandfather uh, in the 1890s. And oh, wow. then their father, Patrick Egan Sr., started the business of bottling and, and, and bonding uh, spirits in the 1850s, believe it or not. So the whole spark for that began um, when he was living in Moat, County Westmead, which is not too far away from Dublin, or sorry, from Tullamore rather. And he moved from Moat, County Westmead, over to Tullamore. And the, one of the reasons for that was that there was a couple of infrastructure arteries that had just been set up Number one was the railway, so the Great Southern Railway, which was going through Tullamore. Number two was the canal. So they dug a canal from the Midlands of Ireland through to Dublin. And Dublin was the second busiest port in the British Empire at the time. And old Patrick Egan Sr. was a little bit of an entrepreneur. And not only was he um, the Crown Solicitor for County Westmeath, but he also ran um, some kind of trading businesses for you know, com- crop commodities and so on and so forth. So he set up a wholesale business then in Tullamore uh, at the Bridge House, Tullamore. So the Bridge House is also on most of the labels. You'll, you'll see it there, just to the bottom oh, left yeah. of your label. That's the That's Bridge beautiful. House, which is still in Tullamore. It's it's no longer in our, in our company's uh, possession, but it's still there. And it still has the facade that the Egan's put onto it at the beginning of the 20th century. I think it was 1910 or 1911. And it still has the PH Egan above the door. That's great. So um, his sons, Patrick and Henry, were the, were the, were the guys that really kind of uh, bolstered the business. They bought additional bottling. They started going into the malting business. Um, so they were actually very famous brewers to, be, to start with. But then, as you know, some of the production processes for beer are the same as whiskey. So... The, their malted barley was was that was something they were specialized in, and they bought these uh, by trader barges, which they would basically take. They would use the canal, which I, I spoke about before, and they would bring their malted barley up the canal to Dublin, and they would sell that to the likes of John Jameson and Son, John Power and Son, and you may have heard of Arthur Guinness and Son. So right. they would then sell their malted barley to them. You know, it's a semi-finished good. And then in return, they would get finished LPA uh, barrels of whiskey, barrels of porter 
from Guinness and they would bring that back down the canal to Tullamore and they would be the distribution agent for them. So the Egan's had 12 branch offices all around the Midlands of Ireland. And uh, that's basically, it was the kind of distribution model at the time, you know, not every, at the time there was no, you know, semi trucks, articulated lorries, etc. So they would, you know, use these, you know, merchant houses um, to sell and promote their goods. And so the famous, most famous Egan's expression was the number eight expression, which actually they procured from John Jameson. And um, what they would do is they would blend, bottle and bond. So that those, that's what they do, the three Bs. Um, and, uh, or rather blend, bond and bottle. Yeah. And um, that's, that's basically what the, the business model was then. And that is what we continue to do now in, in the, the latest iteration of Egan's Whiskey. So we um, we basically go in and source the best quality whiskey we can, but we age it ourselves uh, um, individually. And that's kind of, you know, we try to uh, lean on innovation to try to have our own you know, unique expressions, which is what we're doing more so now with our conviction and our legacy series. And uh, I guess maybe, is that a segue into what we're drinking now or do you think sure, yeah, yeah. we can we can start drinking now and I can keep asking questions. I, I I'm always down to to start yeah. drinking whenever you're ready. I got and my, my I pour right also, here. May I may I also add you mentioned the word dram earlier. So if I could assume to try and educate uh, a little bit, we have the Irish word is is teishgon, which say it one more time. T A O S C A Fada N. And it also, it's basically our Irish equivalent to dram. It just, that's Harder to say, that's all. <laughs> so let's have a taste gone. <laughs> taste gone. And then, and then how do you say Solangeva in uh, Irish Gaelic? Solangeva, yeah. Just Solangeva, so, okay. Solangeva basically means uh, health. You know, it's um, derivative of, of uh, well, not a derivative, but Irish is a Germanic language. So, you know, in French, you have santé. In Solangeva, you can see the, you know. Right. Equivalence cool. there, but yeah, we we say slaunch it, it means to to your good health, and as we're downing it, so great. So tell me a little it. bit more about this particular expression. But before we talk about this particular expression, tell me when did you relaunch? What year did you relaunch the company? Yes, good question. So in the third generation of the family business, uh, my grandfather Patrick Valentine, in the 1960s, it was a, a difficult time for Irish whiskey. And this, I'm sure you've, you've probably covered it in a lot of your other podcasts. You know, what was the demise? What led to the demise of Irish whiskey? So yeah. I won't go over all that. But um, basically, my grandfather decided to close the whiskey side of the business in 1968. And it was a voluntary administration job. So that was 1968. And we um, basically resurrected the company in 2014 mm -hmm. and then we had our first release in 2015 which was the 10 year old single malt that was procured from um from the teeling's uh, enterprise john teeling up in cooley okay. uh, cooley distillery which he then quite recently after that uh, sold it to uh beam to jim right. beam we procure whiskies from uh, various different distilleries. You know, we taste them. I, I taste them with my dad, with my um, my business partner, with the team back in Dublin, and uh, we go with what we what we like, what we feel is bold, what we feel is uh, is going to make an impression. And we're we mostly on the 
reasonably premium end of, of things. Um, we're not so much a, a beer and a shot type whiskey. Nice. <laughs> uh, although I've have had several shots with several beers uh, over the years, so I probably should retract those words. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I think I answered. I think I, well, I tried to answer your questions there. Um, yeah. You know. So, do you still are you still primarily using uh, Cooley Teeling, or are you are you branching out to other makers within the island? Yeah, we we actually um, we've used West Cork. So this this uh, Fortitude, um, which has been aged in the Pedro Ximenez casks, we were actually the first uh, Irish whiskey company to uh, release um, a single malt that was exclusively aged in the sherry casks. So we were the first to do that. So we're, we're kind of proud of, it, proud of that. Um, but yeah, we work, so we worked with them, with the O'Connells down there for, for this particular uh, expression. We adore Fortitude. Um, I think the name actually is, is quite, uh, um, it's quite in vogue if you think about it. You know, we've we've all had some fortitude over the last two years. Yeah, to get through for sure. This, you know, time a very trying time, right? And uh, so I'm, I'm kind of I'm, I'm using that to kind of maybe that's a new sales line for us. There you go. <laughs> Could be a gift I have your idea. fortitude about about Here's the two fortitude. year lockdown. Um, well, I'm loving this. I it's got a very um, it's nutty, so I can feel yes. I can taste a lot of the barley. Um, it's very nutty. Um, yeah, it's uh, um, smell, the nose is know, fantastic. There's no hiding the sherry from the nose. No, no yeah, that at all. I, that's that's one of the things I love about the nose because I'm a big I'm a big sherry buff when it comes to oh, whiskeys. Yes. Oh, nice. So um, the, it's well, again a beautiful you... sherry sherry nose and a, a nutty. Yeah. Uh, so you got that nutty. You got. Um, you got a big uh, kind of, whiff of marzipan, maybe on, yeah. on, on the palate as well. Yep. On your kind of creaminess, your your your, your maltiness. Um, it's very earthy then, too, earthy, nutty, marzipan. Yeah, sultanas, um, mixed fruit, maybe some raisins as well. Oh yeah, I taste the raisins. That's uh, yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, so how how long has this was this the first expression you put out, or was this is this a new one? No, the, the first one was the 10-year-old okay. um, single malt, which uh, we won several awards with. Um, it's still possibly one of my favorites. Um, obviously, it's I'm a little bit of bias because it was our first one we, which we came back out of the market with. Um, and then we came out with the vintage grain, which is basically a single grain whiskey. Okay. And then Fortitude, I believe, was our was our third uh, a third release. So we will continue to bottle the Fortitude. It will be one of our mainstays. That and the Vintage Grain will be our mainstay. So you, you'll you should always find them on the shelves. Great. And then we have our limited releases as well, like the Centenary or the Legacy series as well. Awesome. So how many um, expressions do you have out on the market currently? Five. So we got four legacies, which are okay. limited releases, a thousand bottles each, which are, wow. uh, oops, I don't have one down here, but it's, um, it's, they retail for about 200 plus or minus okay. uh, USD. Um, if you can find one, get your hands on it. Um, they're all, you know, at least aged at least 15 years, uh, single malts and, uh, aged, um, in French oak limousine or, 
um, Cadillac or um, um, we try to be as, as premium as possible there and get really unique uh, taste profiles. Um, so there's four of those. There is this the Centenary, which is a limited release. Um, Fortitude, Vintage Grain. Uh, the 10 year old is now finished. Uh, and then our latest is Conviction. So I can't count how many of that is, but okay. eight. <laughs> and so what's, uh, what are we convictioning about? What are we, what's our conviction? Well, um, it's, a, it's a double entendre. Uh, word because it, it goes back to Henry Egan, who was one of the founders. So there was P and H Egan stands for Patrick and Henry Egan. Um, um, and uh, Patrick was kind of more the, the commercial guy. And Henry was the guy that was kind of sitting on the fence. He was, he was able to find money and, and, and um, the Protestant mercantile classes, which were ruling Ireland at the time. Um, but he, you know, he was also shaking hands with the common man. He was uh, a big proponent for uh, land reform. Uh, there was obviously a lot of poverty in Ireland at the time. So he was, um, he, he was one of the founders of the Land League, which then became the Home Rule Association. Um, so he was an agitator for equality and giving rights back to the, you know, the common man in Ireland. Uh, he was actually, uh, and so that was kind of the conviction that he had for um reform and then the, the double entendre is that he was chucked in prison um for convicted. Uh, for what he did through the, the coercion acts uh and so he was a convict so conviction nice. and a convict <laughs> i love it i love it so what are your plans like what's your five-year plan what are you planning to do or put out in the next five years um i'm well from a personal standpoint i um I, I also I have another business which I run uh, as well. It's which is why I live in the United States now in engineering. Um, but I'm looking to personally invest more time into the business, and that's that's my whole goal is to over the next five years to become to get more involved. Um, which you know, I mean, I think nothing nothing supplants for shoe leather, right? You know, going around meeting people handshakes, trying to educate people, evangelize about, you know, not just Egan's, but Irish whiskey in general, because, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats, you know, I, and um, Irish whiskey is on an upward curve right now. In fact, we were, we're hot on the tails of, of scotch. Um, so we have them in our, in our sights to catch up with them over the next decade or so. And then the company we're, we're going to just concentrate on, on the distribution channels and the partners which we have and hopefully get, you know, get into new markets. We're um, excited about Asia. Um, we've just dipped our toes into Japan and we did a crowdfunding. We entered with a crowdfunding exercise there and we basically pre-sold the entire consignment um, oh, wow. over a couple of days through our uh, Japanese partners, which was fun really interesting way to do that. China is also um, on the radar. We, um, our partner company, my, my business partner, John Ralph, his company Intrepid Spirits is a major shareholder in Egan's and uh, through some of the other brands that are in the stable, they have partnerships in China, which we will hopefully leverage over the next, you know, couple of years. And, um, you know, America, America is, is, is a difficult market because it's, 50 
micro, well, not micro, but 50, you know, unique markets. And right. so there's no one size fits all, you know. And the three tier system doesn't help. <laughs> the three tier system is, is, is trying. And it's, uh, it was a major uh, wake up moment. A lot of uh, lessons were learned in the first couple of years when John just moved over to San Francisco a year before me. I then moved over to Chicago and we were like, wow. So we can't do this. We can't do that. We can't do the other. Um, the whole compliance thing was like a huge education for me, you know, um, because in Ireland, you can, you know, the importer can also be the the, the wholesaler, can right. be the distributor, can even be the retailer. Whereas here it's no, no dice. So yeah, each... you think that after a hundred years of a uh, prohibition gone, that yeah. we'd get our act together, but no. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I can see a shakeup happening, to be honest, over the next five years. You know, I, I really can. It, it's already happening. If you look at what's happening with wine, you know, yeah. the, you know, the, the wineries in, in California, a lot of them are doing direct sales right now. So I can see the industry agitating for change, just how quickly that evolves. I don't really know. Um, online selling is uh, something we'll probably get to do more with. We're doing a lot of that with uh, Mad March Hair, which is our, another sister brand of ours, which is a putchine. Right which is a really interesting uh, it's, it's great. story. Um, I interviewed John a, a couple weeks back. And so I was like, yeah. please get, we got to get on this. Like, and she was like, I've never had any of this before. And so she was yeah. really excited about it. So oh, great. Stuff. Uh, yeah. Mad March here. It's a really fun brand. It's a, it's a great product. Yeah. So, um, so I think, yeah, I could see us doing more, you know, um, social media promotions and campaigns there. Uh, you know, we're, we don't have a lot of whiskey to, to be knocking on every door, we got to choose what we do. We're not, we're never going to be the cheapest whiskey on the shelf. We don't want to be the cheapest whiskey on the shelf. So um, we need to, you know, choose our, our campaigns, uh, you know, wisely. Yeah. So currently you're, I'm assuming not only in America, but in Ireland, and now you're breaking through Asia. Is there any other markets that you're already in? Yes. Um, we're in several European markets. So Eastern Europe, uh, okay. Germany. I believe there was some whiskey going over to Russia. I'm not sure <laughs> what's happening with that now. Been confiscated. It's 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 hiding in a bunker. This is long. I hope they're not pouring it down the sink. Oh God, that would be so sad. <laughs> um, so sad. But um, yeah, so we're we're you know Central Eastern Europe, uh, Ireland, the UK, uh, Dublin duty free uh, is important for us. We're all over Ireland in, in certain hotels in Dublin where we can be sold, where we can be found in the Celtic Whiskey Store on Dawson Street, who are great partners to us. And um, here in the US, we have an exclusive agreement now with Total Wine and more. And um, so we're on their uh, special uh, program um, and they're very good to us. Uh, and then also in, in Canada as well. Um, in some of the select states, please don't ask me which they were because I know it's been changing all the time. Right. Um, and uh, we'll, we're also looking at South America as well. Um, oh, great. Yeah. So we're excited about that. Um, you just got to be careful who you get in bed with, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, John, I'm so excited to have had to be able to taste this dram. I, I'm absolutely loving it. I love the, uh, that it's in it's What I like about it is it's not it doesn't taste like every other Irish whiskey. So it's got its own unique characteristics and it's um, got a beautiful sherry finish and I really enjoy it. Um, oh, I can't wait to see what Chef Louise wants to do with it on Thursday yes. when, when I see her. Um, so I would like to thank you so much for being on today's show. Absolutely, and let, my pleasure. Let our audience know where we can find you. What's your, what's your social handles and your 
your website okay, yeah. and all that. So uh, you can find the brand at, at Egan's Whiskey. And uh, my own social handle is uh, Jonathan Egan, uh, mostly on Instagram. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Slanchev. World of Wheezy is up next. Stay with us. There's nothing better than the smell of coffee in the morning. What if you could enjoy a coffee subscription of fresh, roasted specialty coffee while making a difference in the lives of farmers that grow it? What if you also had access to a virtual coffee community of other coffee lovers and the coffee farmer and roaster? That's all part of the Farm to Cup Coffee Club subscription at Unleashed Coffee. Subscribe today. UnleashedCoffee.com Hey Louise, thanks for coming on the show today on World of Wheezy. We are going to talk about Egan Single Malt Whiskey. Um, we had Jonathan on the show a little bit earlier and we talked about his amazing whiskey story. And now we are going to taste his whiskey with, with Chef Louise. Louise, what did you think about Egan's whiskey? So I very much enjoyed Egan's single malt. I was picking up a lot of notes of honey, some brown sugar, some warm spices. And so of course it took me to dessert land. Right now, a friend of mine has a plum tree that is overflowing. It's plum full, as they say. And it's overflowing. She called me up and she said, uh, help, because I have like five giant boxes full of plums and I don't know what to do with them. So I've been brainstorming all sorts of ideas on what to make with plums in the dessert world. And we're gonna do some fortified wine. We Ooh. are going to make chutney and jam and some shrubs. We're gonna do all sorts of thing with, things with plums. But as I was thinking about that, I was like, ooh, you know what would be really delicious with this Egan single malt is to roast some plums, which could be used in a very savory way or in a sweet application. Oh. So I'm going to start with roasting some plums. And after they're roasted and nicely caramelized, to, I'm just going to add some of the single malt whiskey to them to have them macerate a little bit, maybe with a little bit of sugar and some fresh ginger. And then I'm going to use that as a topping to go on top of a pavlova. Ooh. And for those of you who are not familiar with Pavlova, it is basically a baked meringue. So it's whipped egg whites and sugar, and you can bake it into this nice, you can do it individual sized or a large one if you're serving a crowd. And it's a baked meringue, and it's usually topped with a lot of fruit and sometimes whipped cream. And so I was thinking that that, these whiskey macerated plums would be a great topping for a pavlova. Again, you could also use this type of plum application for roast pork or um, just as a topping for ice cream as well. I mean, there it's it's sort of multi, it's got like, you know, a multitude of uses. So that's what I'm doing with the Egan single malt today. Well, I may have to come over and get some of these plums after you've finished getting them ready. Sounds delicious. Yes, there's lots of them, lots of them. So I'll, I'm, I'm up to my neck in them right now. That's awesome. Sounds delicious. As always, I can't wait to taste your beautiful creation. And we will talk to you next week with our next whiskey. See you then. Don't touch that device. We'll be right back with Whiskey Whereabouts. Yeah! Hey, guys.
guys, we're back, finally, after COVID-19. I'm Carrie. I'm Philip. I'm Louise, I'm the chef. Chef Louise Leonard, as in Whiskey, A Chef's Journey. That chef. Yes, we started shooting just before the pandemic lockdown. And now today, our very first day, you are catching us on set. And we would love to talk to you about how you can help get us from here to your TV set. The thing is, we've run out of money. We mounted a pre-production campaign, which was very successful. Thank you very much for that. But now we're back into production and we need your support for this phase. You supported this uh, the first go round, or if you didn't, we welcome your support this time. The thing is, we want to take this show around the world, quite literally. Quite literally. And that takes money. Yeah. So won't you help us get this to market? You can visit whiskeyachefsjourney.com for all of the information you're going to need to help us realize this project. Well, I think it's a cheers to that. <laughs> cheers. Today, I'd like to welcome back Greg Schwartz from the Water of Life movie. Greg, you have been on this journey for quite some time. I talked to you with Philip on Spirits of Whiskey a couple of times, and uh, now you guys have something new to discuss. Um, you've, you, you did the premiere, you were doing all these worldwide releases and um, tastings, and now it sounds like you have some sort of distribution. Can you tell us about that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, thanks for having me back to, to talk about this. Um, yeah, so this is a little bit the end of the road for us, I think, for this film. I mean, at the end of our day-to-day hands-on, I think, um, over the next few months. We are kind of wrapping up doing all these kind of online special bespoke clubs and private things all over the world. And we are, well, we're currently already streaming on PBS. Um, awesome. We are on the pbs.org for a month and we're also going to be broadcast on 85% of the PBS stations in the country over the course of the next month. Um, and that has begun rolling out the it will go from now until July 6th, I believe is the final one. Wow. So tell me about that process. Cause I know I've tried to get into PBS before and there's this like gaggles of paperwork you have to supply before they'll even <laughs> talk to you. So tell me about that process. Well, I, I mean, it, PBS has been awesome to deal with. Uh, I will say they're pretty unique. Um, I, I, the metaphor I like to use is that they're like animals in Australia that have just evolved completely independently of animals all the rest of the world over. <laughs> um, they have pouches and everything's deadly. Um, the, <laughs> but no, they, um, yeah, it's, it's been a long process. You know, we've known this was going to happen for quite a while, but there's just a lot of just compliance and things. A lot of it's, technical boring stuff but a lot a lot of it is just PBS isn't really a network per se so much as it is 300 plus member stations who collectively own it and have the bandwidth and the and the frequency and they all get to pick their own programming and so they do their own schedules they do their own selections and so we you know have been working around the country lining up one after another after another for different times. And the target was to do Father's Day, but they want to do a month. So we basically said, okay, well, Father's Day is in June. So June's the month. And, okay. um, and like I said, we're currently in 85% of the stations already. And uh, our we have a station relations rep, and she's told us that that will likely continue to increase throughout the month, approaching 100%. Wow. How many PBS stations are there? Do you know? Uh, 314, 17, something like oh, that. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. And there's some of the less populous states have one station for the whole state. 
Right. Which is, yeah. I know Whereas, we have at least, we have two at least, right? We have SoCal and we have one in San Francisco here in Well, LA. no, I mean, California so, has California. like eight, I think. But eight I mean, LA five. alone has two. There's SoCal, then there's the the KLCS, the smaller one. I mean, oh, and right. then there's Orange there's County, two KLCE. And I mean, it's, you know, it's population driven, you know? So it's, um, and there are, so we're on at different times in every market. And, you know, I, we have a link on our page. If you go to waterflyfilm.com, it's on there. I think I sent you the specific page link. Right. Um, we also have a page on the PBS website where we'll tell people it should automatically load right to their local station and tell you when it'll be on. Plus, you can stream it anytime you want. That's awesome. Yeah, I have the uh, the SoCal app, the PBS SoCal app on all of my Roku's in the house. So, um, so when did you guys start dealing with PBS? Because I know it's a big process. And why did you choose PBS to start your distribution as for television type? I mean, part of it selfishly is that we're just big fans of PBS and just, have, you know, kind of view it as the gold standard of, of documentary cultural programming. And, and so we reached out to them. Um, I think, well, initial re outreach was probably close to a year ago now. Um, okay. I think we applied in late September of last year and then we were accepted around the end of the year. And then, um, this is just like a thing. It's internal more than anything, but it's, there's a thing called PBS plus where it's just sort of a, this indication within PBS that you get sort of a higher profile and we got accepted into that as well. Um, and then Boston WGBH in Boston runs a thing called PBS world channel, which is sort of basically it does a lot of the um, streaming and more technologically oriented stuff for themselves, but also for a lot of the smaller stations around the country. And then they selected us as well. So, you know, um, it's just been this long process and we had to take, you have to take producers for documentaries on PBS have to pass ethics classes. Oh, wow. So we had to take online ethics classes and which was cool. I mean, wow. it's fine. I passed, I have a certificate. Great. So now <laughs> does that expire or is it now you can keep doing PBS stuff and not have to worry about that? I think, it, I think it's ongoing now, unless I, you know, run afoul of the, the, <laughs> the rules, but I, I believe it's open-ended. I don't, there's no expiration date. And how long was this test that you had to take? Or class? Um, I'd say like an hour, hour and a half, something. Like that. Okay. Wow. I've never, <laughs> never heard. Of, I mean, I know like I'm, I'm working on a show. We have to take, I had to take two classes. I had to take one online Zoom for like all kinds of awareness. And now I still have to go take like the sexual harassment training. And I feel like the, the first class was like, oh, I've never had to take one like this before. It was like, I, I don't know. It was weird. <laughs> was weird but yeah there's a lot of of these like for when you're working there but i didn't think that they would make you do something like that for basically licensing your show to them to air well that's interesting most of this was about actually was pbs takes very seriously the idea of sort of um transparency of documentaries um you know we had to prove not just sign but also prove that we were not being financed by the companies featured within the film that we weren't being paid by them, you know, that, that, that it wasn't just a kind of pay to play branded content, pretending to be a documentary kind of thing, you know? Um, and, uh, that was, that? that was, the well, because we had to give them full transparency of where all of the financing of the film came from. Wow. Okay. So you didn't have to like go to, to the companies and say, can you sign this saying you didn't give us any money? <laughs> no, it was the other way around. We had to prove where we did get the money. Wow. That's, uh, so personal. <laughs> yeah, no, it really is, especially considering part of our film was crowdfunded. Yeah. And, uh, so that was, you know, 770 people. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
now did they have to in, they didn't have to interview all of those people they just no, had to no, see the no, list no. right okay that's good that i think they've gotten used to the idea of crowdfunding now it was okay. more of the actual equity investment stuff that they were more concerned with okay so what was the first date that it started airing on pbs and which station was it do you know well i mean it started at midnight on june 1st um on the pbs.org and then, oh, okay. it, then stations rolled out. I mean, it was in New York on WLIW, the Long Island PBS station on June 2nd. That was the first big primetime broadcast. I know, I think there was a couple other smaller ones. I, to be honest with you, there's 550. I can't keep track of them all. Um, but the first big one on, on primetime was, was Long Island. Okay. That's pretty cool. Very cool. Um, so what is the plan after this June PBS deal expires. Are you going to go to, to try to do some of the streamings or? Yeah, about um, six weeks after the PBS deal expires, we should start appearing on like the iTunes store, Apple, um, uh, um, Amazon Prime, Google Play, the Microsoft, um, I can't remember the name of it, the store that's run through Xbox, uh, those kinds of platforms, the PVOD, um, paid video on demand. And then uh, eventually from there onto the streaming video on demand services that those companies now all also have. So that should, I'm, I'm pretty certain that's going to start appearing on August 9th wow. in the U.S. Okay. Now on to your other project that kind of came out of this project. You guys were doing a lot of uh, bottling line. You had a lot of bottling line fit footage when you were doing the documentary that um, last time we spoke, you said uh, you were going to turn that into its own film. So how is that coming along? Well, it kind of grew, to be honest with you, in a good way, uh, even though it grew very slowly because of the pandemic. Um, well, the, the the guy who was, I say guy, it's funny because it's his name, Guy Satchwell, uh, was the sound mixer on on the, the current feature on uh, The Water of Life. But he's also uh, a videographer, a drone pilot. He's a sort of one-man band filmmaker. As, and uh, he we he's been working with us because he's actually based in Scotland. So when interview opportunities have come up, while I've been stuck abroad or stuck here, abroad from Scotland, he did interviews for me, sometimes with me appearing sort of on an iPad and sometimes just me giving him the questions and letting him run on his own and nice. share the footage and share the audio and sort of, you know, we are probably two interviews away from being finished with that. Um, we just had an opportunity for a third to come up, so we'll, we'll see, but um, we're going to be done with that and then it's a matter of editing it, which... You know, I'm hoping that we can have this finished by the end of this year. I don't know that that's going to happen. Everything on that thing has been slower than I want it to be, but I really want it to be a companion piece to this film. And it's, it's not going to be as long. It's going to be like a 54-minute standalone independent bottling piece that will sort of hopefully sit right alongside this one. And do you line. think that you'll try to um, take the same distribution pass, uh, path with this one and get it onto PBS and then roll out the, uh, the paid on demand? Probably, yeah. I mean... I, I, I would like to say we were going to do some more of the things we've done with the current film where we were doing whiskey clubs around the world, but I feel like we've gone to that well a lot, you know, and I think a lot of the people there are excited about this film, but I also think that we just got to get it out there and, you know, let it, let it be what it's going to be. And, and uh, I think our team has really been taxed for a year and a half of, you know, there's just like six of us kind of running this and, and it's, it's a lot of fun. I do most of the traveling. Um, myself and our one producer, Alphonse, do almost all the traveling. But, and that's been challenging on its own during the pandemic. But at the same time, like everybody's doing things where we do a, a live Q&A in Taiwan at four o'clock in the morning. Or, you know, uh, we did a couple of events in Japan and we had to get up at two or three in the morning. You know, it's just, and we don't mind doing it. It's, it's fun, but it, you know, 
we got it. We're, we're at the end of the day, I'm a filmmaker. I'm not a promoter. You know, a promoter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I, I just been, I've been, I've been watching the progress of the movie this whole, ever since, um, ever since Betsy introduced us. Uh, and I just, I'm very excited how far you've come and I'm very excited that you're on PBS and that hopefully after you do the um, paid on demand that, that you will get on the streaming channels as just a regular, anybody can watch it. And hopefully with all of that, they'll pay you some good money, <laughs> which would be nice. <laughs> well, I, uh, thanks. I, I hope so too. Um, you know, our, our deal with PBS is longer than 30 days. There's a 30 day exclusive window, but then it's going to actually be on PBS for, I think, 18 months. And uh, so I think we're going to do a couple other like little special events with some of the various bigger PBS stations over the coming months. And, you know, uh, I don't have any details for those yet, but we really think we can do some fun stuff, especially when we can combine online PBS events and in-person stuff. Right. That's really cool. Well, I'm excited to see um, your bottling movie as it comes out and um, to have you back when it's out and ready. And we'll talk about that movie as well. And Greg, thank you so much for telling us how The Water of Life is coming along. It's been great. Thank you. It's been fun to talk to you again. That does it for today's show. To read notes on this episode or learn more about our guests, please visit BarrelRoomChronicles.com. If you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. If you really liked it and you want to show your support, buy us a whiskey through our Kofi site at ko-fi.com slash BRC or become an exclusive member of the Barrel Room Parlor, where you'll get exclusive content not seen anywhere else. And finally, if you work in the whiskey or spirits industry or just have a deep passion for whiskey and want to share your spirits journey, register to be a guest through our website. Thanks for joining me. Until next time, Salangeva. Barrel Room Chronicles is a production of First Real Entertainment and is distributed by Anchor FM and is available on Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Amazon, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.